The Coates and Children's Library at Princeton University Library presents The Bibliophiles. Hi, this is Dr. Dana. Today my guest is Jeff Smith, creator of the epic comic Bone. The story begins with the three Bone cousins, Phone Bone, Phony Bone, and Smiley Bone, lost in an uncharted desert. Shortly after they discover a rudimentary map, they are separated by a massive swarm of locusts. As they try to find each other, they become enmeshed in a larger story, one that involves a girl named Thorn, dragons, prophecies, a kingdom called Athea, and the menacing, and sometimes very stupid, rat creatures. Bone is the perfect comic. The characters are intriguing, the artwork is captivating, and the story is completely absorbing. Smith is a master of timing, both with the pace of his panels and the tempo of his storytelling. The blend of humor and drama creates an instant connection with the reader and makes the comic virtually impossible to put down. Which is no small feat, considering that the full run of the comic is over 1,300 pages. Bone has been published internationally and translated into over 20 languages. It won 11 Harvey Awards and 10 Eisner Awards, including Best Cartoonist and Best Humor Publication. It was named Best Comic Book by the National Cartoonist Society, and Time Magazine called it one of the 10 greatest graphic novels of all time. Jeff Smith joins us from Columbus, Ohio. Mr. Smith, welcome to the Bibliophiles. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. What comics did you read when you were growing up? When I was very small, I loved the Sunday comics, you know, the, in the newspaper. And my, but even before I could read, my dad would read them to me. You know, and I, I loved everything from Blondie and Peanuts and uh, Milton Kniff's, uh Steve Canyon, all that kind of stuff. Loved it. And also Mad Magazine. Mad Magazine had a lot of stuff that you could read even before you could understand the lettering. But my dad loved Mad Magazine, read that to me too. So that kind of like spurred me into the art form. And then once I could read on my own, which, which I learned to read from comics, it was my passion and desire to understand what Charlie Brown and Snoopy were saying. It forced me to learn to read, you know, Peanuts comics. It was still comics that really caught my interest. And I think after that, it was more like Uncle Scrooge and uh, newspaper strips like Pogo. What about watching uh, cartoons on television? Well, in the 60s when I was a kid, uh, the cartoons on TV were mostly kind of reruns of theatrical animation, you know, like eight-minute shorts that used to run in between uh, feature films like Bugs Bunny and Heckle and Jekyll. So that's what was on TV, and they were, uh, I mean, yeah, I remember Scooby-Doo and some of these more limited animation-type things, but they, they're crap compared to Heckle and Jekyll and the old Tom and Jerry's and Bugs Bunny. It was great stuff. So really strong, character-driven animation is, is what I remember from the 60s. And, I, yes, that had a big influence on me, for sure. Tell us about the beginnings of Bone. The beginnings of Bone, uh, well, it's a, it's a, it's a stretched-out story that starts when I was a kid trying to make up my own characters. You know, I, was, I was looking at Mickey Mouse and Bugs Bunny and Heckle and Jekyll, these characters that I was just talking about. And I was looking at them and I was thinking, well, I want to make up my own character. But 
you know, I, I was trying to figure out, you know, what the elements were, what, what made up the construction of these characters. I'm not sure I thought about it in those terms as a little kid, but it is what I was doing. And I remember this little, this one little guy who eventually I named Phonebone kind of popped onto the page and that was it. He just never left. I always wanted to draw him. I was always interested in the problems, the construction problems of how do you make him look like he's feeling mad or like he's feeling angry or he's scared or whatever that was. The funny thing that I look back on <laughs> with some perspective is I didn't realize that all the characters I love so much, like Bugs Bunny and Snoopy and Pogo and Mickey Mouse, what they had in common, which was that they were all animals. And I didn't realize that, that was what a cartoon character was supposed to be. I just knew they had to have big noses and big feet. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so by the time I realized my little character was supposed to have dog ears and a tail, it was too late. He was a little bone. <laughs> and the other characters did they sort of develop along the way well they kind of yeah they kind of just follow suit the uh the first time i drew phone bone he was really angry and then like i was saying i began this process as a young artist of some kind trying to like make his mouth closed and make him smile and give him different emotions but the angry version of him kept coming back and that became Phony Bone. So then I had the two main characters, the happy character Phone Bone and the angry character Phony Bone. And then they got joined by this kind of art carny, uh, goofy character, Smiley Bone. And then those three, even, you know, even by the time I was 10, they were pretty solid. Then leap forward about eight years to when I'm, you know, 18 I'm reading more. I'm reading Huckleberry Finn. I'm reading Moby Dick. I'm reading Heavy Metal magazine, which is, you know, a bunch of European fantasy cartoonists doing their own magazines. I'm reading uh, The Lord of the Rings. And I saw Star Wars for the first time. And then all of a sudden I started to get interested in the concept of fantasy and storytelling and um I don't know at what point I decided I needed to put these little bone characters in a giant Homer-like epic, but I did, and, and that's what bone is. So when you write a story and then you draw the panels, I'm imagining that it's a lot harder to uh, draw the panels. They take more time. I mean, writing does take thought, but to actually ink in everything, the contrast, the expressions, and the balloons, is it frustrating how a story might proceed faster than the art or vice versa? Well, what it is is that you have to go over a story multiple times. That's the, that's the weird thing. So, so you like think of, you know, as I approach the issue, I, you know, I look at my notebooks and I go, okay, this is what has to happen in this chapter, which is an issue of bone or of wrestle. And I say, okay, this is what has to happen. And then you, you, you know, kind of, you write it out in, as an outline, just like you would for a project in school or something. Uh, and then the next step is you got to start thinking in pictures. You got to start writing little scripts that have, you know, little quick, thumbnail drawings of the people talking to each other. And then you have to draw it a little better. 
then you have to start drawing it for real where it's like, you know, on a piece of two ply Bristol board that's, you know, 14 by 17. Now you have to draw it and you have to pencil it for real. Now at this point, this is probably the third or fourth time you've been over every single panel. Then you have to letter it, then you have to tighten the pencils, then you have to ink it. So you have to do it, I mean, it's like seven or eight times you have to go over the entire story, every inch of it, every word balloon, every facial thing. You go over it over and over and over, like eight times. And that takes that takes a certain kind of mm, personality, I guess. But I mean, when you see somebody like Chester Brown or Dan Klaus, and I mean, these these are people that are doing it. They they know that's part of it. That's that that's just in their gut. They can do it, and they'll get it done. So yeah, it is hard, but yeah, it's part of the job. Did you sneak portraits of people you know into Bone? Uh. In a way, Grandma Ben was kind of based on this okay, this this real grandma that I knew. I was dating a girl in high school, and her mother raised steer, not cows like Grandma Ben, but she raised steer, and she really used to run like crazy. This really old lady with with white hair just used to jump fences and run like across acres. I was like, oh my god, she's gonna have a heart attack, and um. The girl I was dating at the time, her dad just did not like me, and that was his mom, who was Grandma Ben. So kind of to, to tweak him a little bit, his name was Ben. I actually put his face on his mom's body, and I was, like, making fun of him a little bit. But that's about <laughs> it. <laughs> Originally, Bone was published in black and white. Later, it was republished in color. Was it difficult for you to reconceptualize the story in color? It was work. It wasn't difficult, but it was work. It was first suggested to me by Art Spiegelman, who is a friend of mine, but also somewhat of a hero of mine. He's the guy who did Mouse. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mouse was one of the inspirations for Bone. I mean, that was where I began to see, oh, the, the comic book medium is capable of telling stories of weight. Uh, with beginnings, middles, and ends. So I, I got to know art over a, of a course of a few years, a little bit better as we went along. And then at some point, Scholastic, as Bone was wrapping up, and it had already proven its popularity in libraries and, and, and in children's libraries, um, Scholastic wanted to publish it. And they were talking with Art Spiegelman and Francoise Mouly, his wife, who's the art director of the New Yorker, about like what what comics should we launch a, a kid's imprint with? And Art and Francoise wanted to do Bone. And so they called me and they were like, we, we want to do Bone, we want to launch it, we want to put it in the schools, we're going to treat it like a real book. It won't be treated like a supplement to Dungeons and Dragons. It'll go with real books as if it wasn't a comic, you know, we'll put it right next to Harry Potter, right? We'll put it right next to Lord of the Rings. And that's what I wanted to hear. And then art, of all people, wanted it to be in color. And I was like, what are you talking about, art? I mean, you're you're an underground guy. I'm an underground guy. What 
you know, we have we have street cred. What are you talking about? It's black and white. Mouse is in black and white. Why shouldn't Bone be black and white? Art said, well, Mouse is about the Holocaust. It's about war. It should be in black and white. He says, but Bone is about life. And it won't be finished until it's in color. And I thought, okay, well, that's a pretty good argument. <laughs> I'll do some experiments. And I did actually try uh, a couple of issues of Bone in color and just for myself. And they look great. And um, then I realized, yeah, color would be all right. And Scholastic didn't care one way or the other. They were like, yeah, you want to do it in black and white? Fine. It already sells great in black and white. Kids like it. Do you want it in black and white? Cool. Art thinks you should be in color? It's up to you. So I went with color, and art was right. <laughs> Kids love it. Bone grew tremendously in popularity while you were still creating it. By 2004, when you inked the final page, it was huge. Did its growing popularity affect your work on the stories, the character, the art? Uh, not, not in any way that changed it. But it absolutely affected it in that it didn't change. And I'll explain that. I mean, I was very, very lucky that uh, I got the support of my peers and of, of the readers and of the comic book store owners. Because without that support, I don't know how you would do something like Bone, which, I don't know, it feels kind of very Disney-like and obvious in retrospect. But at the time, believe it or not, Dana, everybody was telling me, this can't work. You can't do this. Nobody likes cartoony. Nobody likes fantasy. Everything about what I was doing was bad. Very bad. <laughs> but with the support of the entire industry, and by that I mean comic book store owners and people that you know run the awards or whatever, other creators, it was that support that allowed me to do Bone uncompromised. And so the answer to your question is, no, I, nothing about Bone changed from what I wanted it to be at all. But it couldn't have happened if I hadn't gotten such resounding support from from my my people. I don't know what to call them, my peeps, <laughs> <laughs> my comic book people. What was it like to finish it? It was awesome. Are you kidding? Uh, <laughs> I, I, I was a little slow on the last few issues, and I, I remember uh, my wife, Vijaya, who's my business partner, and who set up the company with me you know, before the first issue came out. I mean, she was my partner, and we wrote a business plan, and we figured out, here's what we're going to do. We're going to we'll do you know, six issues a year, and then once a year, since it's, since it's a giant story, and we need people to get the early chapters – We'll do collections and we'll do graphic novels. And this, remember, this is in 1990. The graphic novels as a concept barely existed. So uh, Vijaya was with me the whole time. And as I was having difficulty finishing it, it I remember Vijaya thinking, you don't want to let it go. Uh, you know, even working on it for you know, over a decade, you don't want to let go. But what it really was, was it was just a really complicated story, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. There was like a lot of story threads, and I didn't want any of it to feel 
uh, cheesy or pat. I wanted everything to be as organic and exciting as, you know, my favorite books, like as I've mentioned earlier, the Iliad and the Odyssey and, you know, these big epic stories. I wanted it to be like that. And doing that just was really, really hard. Once I got it, I was like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that was good. It was good. I was extremely happy. I never once thought, um, I'm, 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 I'm sorry to leave these things or I don't want to. I was just like extremely happy and very pleased that it actually worked out. What are some of the most interesting things you've received from fans over the years? More interesting things? Mm. Wow. I've gotten a, a lot of things, as you can imagine. And uh, I, I mean, I'm actually looking at one right now, which is, I don't know if you'll think this is interesting, but it's uh, some guy took some little bone figurines and he made them into like Tintin characters wow. uh, and Star Wars characters. And that's kind of cool. <laughs> and of course, I've seen lots of tattoos over the years and, I would never get a bone tattoo, but I've seen like rat creatures with every hair detailed on people's necks. It's amazing. Does it make you feel think, weird to see your artwork on someone permanently? Yeah, yeah, it does. Oh, well, it used to. I mean, I'm, I've kind of, this is weird, I've, but I've kind of gotten used to it a little bit. But uh, yeah, but I'll see guys with like phony bone chasing a dollar bill, like on a calf. Um, <laughs> That's that's pretty crazy. It is crazy. <laughs> but and like I said, I don't have any tattoos. I don't know, but but it's clearly um you know, a sign of love that someone wants to do that. And I recognize that. At any part when you were first starting out, did you ever feel like you had to apologize for being a cartoonist? you know, getting caught drawing in school. That, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's what happened to me. It was, Dana, stop turning in these these C-grade tests with doodles in the margins. Oh, okay. You know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you two answers here. The second one's for you. But the first one is, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, when when I first started in comics, I mean, comics were still completely disrespected. I practically got chased out of art school. I went to the Columbus College of Art and Design in here in Ohio, and it, it's a very well-respected school. But they, they in 1978, you do not do comics. That is a bastard art form. I was told that very specifically. This is a bastard art form. It's, it's not art, and it's not literature. It's just, it's just doo-doo. So the, um, but, it, but that's what they said. This is, this is not a real art form, and I was practically chased out of school. So... Recently, you know, because of Facebook, I had some um, friends from when I was like in elementary school. This woman, Sally, I mean, she was just a little kid when we were, we knew each other. But Sally wrote me on Facebook and was like, hey, you know, I my kid's reading Bone and he loves it. And he just thinks it's the greatest thing and he draws all the time. Oh, and it's fantastic. And he's, he, he creates whole worlds out of, you know, out of his imagination and she said, but could you please write him a, a note 
and tell him to stop drawing on his math tests. <laughs> and I wrote her back and I said, I'm sorry, I can't do that. <laughs> That's where I did my best work. <laughs> That's it. I mean, if you're a cartoonist, which maybe you are, Dana, I'm, I'm wondering now. It's, it's, you can't stop yourself. It's not, it's not like the kind of thing where you think, oh, well, I'm going to grow up and be rich and have a fast car and be Mitt Romney. If you draw comics, you're going to be poor. That's pretty much it. So, Art doesn't pay. <laughs> Art still doesn't pay. Well, Jeff Smith, thank you so much for coming on The Bibliophiles. It's been great.